Agpo. Our topic today is a less partisan Canadian Senate likely to be more effective. Our speaker is Senator Pamela Wallen. We now come to our Q&A. Now please do use the microphone by the door over there. No questions from the floor, please. As, as I mentioned earlier, the session is recorded. When you come to the mic, please state your name. Be brief with either a comment or a question. We want to get as many people as possible uh, up to the mic or to send in questions. I've received a few so that they can address Senator Wallen directly. Okay, so I'm going to invite our speaker back to the podium. Yeah, it must be switched on. I do need that. Keep the feedback down. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, speaker, please go ahead. Uh, rather, questioner, with your question. Okay, uh, thank you for being here, uh, Pamela. Um, you have been one do of my Do tell us your name, for, please. Oh, name. It, my name is Rena Was, and I'm going to be running for Lethbridge City Council. So, um, your presence here is, is really important, and I have been following you for decades. You've been one of my icons. I had no idea what a tremendous career you've had, and you know, high points, but then a major low point. And that really, uh, it impacted me so much because, um, you know, this sort of thing goes on in every facet of society. What words of wisdom would you provide for us for, you know, I mean, I'm talking about the Senate scandal, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so that these sort of things are mitigated, because it is happening. Um, the you know tax okay, reform that the liberals are proposing to close the loopholes on ta you know this kind of thing. Um, if you could provide some words of wisdom, that would be appreciated. Thank you. Thanks. Um, th there's no question. I think many of you, if not all of you. Um, witnessed because it was on the television screens and uh, the pages of the newspapers every day. It's one of the uh, real downsides of public life um, is that everything that you do is uh, subject to such intense scrutiny. In a highly charged partisan atmosphere uh, where I was operating, that becomes more intense uh, and it was very, very difficult for my family uh, and my friends to go through this, but they were also the source of much strength and encouragement. And I also think when you know in your heart of hearts that uh, what you did was not wrong, that you were became the subject of um, some partisan infighting that was going on, it doesn't make it any easier to see your face plastered on, uh, on screens or newspapers, but you have to keep a focus on uh, what goes on. I think the most important outcome of this has been 
that they're for the right reasons and the wrong reasons, now a demand to fix the Senate and to make it less partisan. We went through an experience where we were, there was no presumption of innocence. We had no right of appeal. We did not have a place to make our case. We were judged by a group of peers whose hands subsequently turned out to um, be a little less than clean in some cases. And I think it did really highlight for a lot of people that there are issues there. The Senate of Canada cannot be above the law. Uh, you cannot sit in judgment on each other depending on whether you like someone or don't like someone or whether you have fallen from favor or whether you disagree uh, with someone. So I think that that's uh, really part of what's at the core of this is that we need to have our national institutions, they need to be transparent, but they also need to be subjected to the rule of law so okay. that people are treated fairly. Thank you. Next question, please. Terry Shellington is my name. Thank you very much for being here. Delightful to uh, engage with you. Um, uh, it's a twofold question that I have around um, um, more independence in the Senate. Yeah. Uh, we have the impression from this perspective that uh, under the old system, uh, conservative appointed senators and liberal appointed senators were expected to unequivocally support their party's position in the House of Commons. And if that's the case, that's uh, certainly a conflict of sober second thought. Uh, I'm curious particularly about uh, when Justin, one of the first actions of Justin Trudeau as liberal leader was to release the uh, liberal senators and I wondered at the time and I still wondered wonder whether that was a cosmetic change or whether uh, there was a difference in the way they uh, were able to approach legislation in the Senate. It was certainly not cosmetic from their point of view. <laughs> uh, the liberal senators were most distraught at being taken out of a caucus the Conservative Senators still sit in the National Caucus, but I think consistent with what um, the then Liberal leader, now Prime Minister, was saying is that if you want those individuals to be independent and pass judgment on uh, legislation, then they can't sit in caucus debating it and being party cheerleaders um, and then go and supposedly be objective about it. So there was a consistency to it. Um, it's the debate we're now having as independent senators because we do not even refer to ourselves as a caucus. We refer to ourselves as a group. But actually in the rules of the Senate, the funding is only allotted to caucuses, which implies some kind of party affiliation. So we've made a little progress on changing that relationship so that the language in the Senate uh, actually changes so that we could have now the, the the rules that we're working toward is that any group of nine senators, a minimum of nine, that comes together for some purpose or some shared world view uh, can form themselves as a group. And you might have a caucus that is looking at uh, free trade or tax reform. We already have those um, that system with our committees you know, where you belong to certain committees and presumably because of areas of interest and expertise. But there might be caucuses formed around um, every child mattering. And uh, you might want to get together, and that would be cross-party, <laughs> and we hope eventually at the point where it will just be interested individuals who do it and it, it doesn't reflect 
uh, a party view because you don't need people to come and make representations from the House of Commons. We, we, we know what they do. Their representations are the bills they send us. Um, so I have found, having been part of a party caucus and now part of this, uh, it, there is great freedom in this to raise questions, uh, take a contrary view, sit down with your colleagues and talk it through. You're on, on one side of the issue, I'm on the other side of the issue. It doesn't have to do with party politics. It has to do with the issue. Um, and uh, you have much deeper and smarter debate as a result of that because I, I don't just have to tug my forelock and, and there was way too much of that. We saw it really uh, grow and become much more intense, which is you just simply lined up on party lines regardless of how you personally felt or even what you thought your constituents felt in the province you represent. So okay. Thank you. We have uh, another audience member who had a similar question, but you, you've dealt with that. But I am going to take one of the written questions now. And the question is, how do senators form groups and committees? How are members selected? Uh, at, in the old but not gone system, uh, you, you go to your party caucuses uh, and you have those negotiations. I, when I came into the Senate, uh, served on the Defense Committee and I served on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Those were areas of interest and somewhat expertise. I'd spent a lot of time in Afghanistan, spent my time in, uh, in New York and had covered these things for years as a journalist. So that made some sense. Uh, and you, there's X positions that have to be filled, so you negotiate and maybe if somebody uh, wants to be on a different committee, you do a little bit of horse trading there. We're finding the same process actually works with a nonpartisan body. You sit down and you say, well, gee, you're a lawyer and a human rights advocate and maybe you should be on the legal affairs committee or maybe your area of interest might be um, indigenous people, so maybe you want to go on that committee instead and take your legal skills and interests there. So you do speak up for what you want and then generally all of us end up taking one or two for the team. And you set, sit on a committee, I sit on something called scrutiny of regulations which is just mind-numbingly difficult to deal with. Every piece of legislation that comes through then has about 400 pages of regulations that go with it uh, to make sure that the 15 acts that might be affected by it are all consistent and you know it, it's, it's tough slogging and so nobody wants to get up at 8 o'clock on Wednesday morning and do that for two hours. Uh, but you do, because it's part of the job, and so um, you do those things. Right. <laughs> okay, so the next question from the floor, please. Pleased to uh, have you here and hear you Thank speak, you. Ms. Wallen. My name's Cheryl Bradley. Uh, there's one major political party in our country that is not part of the Senate or hasn't traditionally been the New Democrat party mm. and I understand they're in favor of disbanding right. the Senate so it does raise questions about how representative the Senate is of political or just general thought about the benefits to our country across the country um, and I do it makes me ponder what is the role of the Senate I understand the sober second thought mm -hmm. uh, 
idea where you do review legislation and make sure it's consistent and well written. But there was one thing you said that uh, caught my interest and raised my question. I think it was that the Senate is a check on the democratic excess of the House of Commons. And I wonder if you can cast a little more light on that phrase and what you think that means and what other roles you think the Senate fills besides um, reviewing legislation for technically technicalities. Right. Thanks. Um, on, on the NDP, of course, they have um, long-standing opposition to the existence of the Senate. That's not to say there aren't new Democrats in the system. <laughs> um, and a woman from Saskatchewan was appointed, and she sat as an independent uh, because there was no group or caucus for her to be part of. And she eventually joined the Liberal Caucus because she found more like-minded people and uh, wanted somewhere. You're, when, when you're out there by yourself in a group like that, it's hard to keep yourself informed and even know. It's, it's a complicated structure in terms of meetings and all of that. So it's good to have some kind of structure, which is why we're creating one um, for independence. And I think that you'll see lots more in this independent selection process or appointment process. There are a lot of people that I don't know and I haven't asked to see uh, uh, membership cards, but I, I, from conversations with them, I'm assuming that, that their views would be closely aligned with the NDP and that they are sitting as independent senators. So I think there's actually less concern about that now than there used to be because they have a way in. They don't have to be chosen by one of the two main parties, they, they come because of their own expertise. Um, the excesses, and, and I, I maybe didn't say it the best way, but the excesses of, of the, the democratically elected House of Commons, they, these folks, and some of you in this room know it personally, it's one of the hardest jobs in the country. Um, and especially if you are an MP or a representative from one of the far reaches, the travel that you have to do, the sacrifices that your family makes. And then you come there and uh, the Prime Minister of the day decides that for whatever reasons he or she wants this piece of legislation passed and you are told that the party whip is on and you will vote that way, whether that's what your constituents want, whether that's what you believe. And so you get a lot um, of bills that are flawed for that reason because they haven't gone through a really open debate process. So that is not going to change. We are always going to have an elected House of Commons. That's what it's there for. And there will always be party discipline and party whips. So to me, that means we will always need <laughs> uh, oversight, if you will, sober second thought, uh, call it what you will. There aren't you know, there are other names for it, but there's got to be a way to look at legislation that is often hastily done to meet a legislative or an electoral timetable. Uh, we get uh, just a flood of uh, legislation in December and a flood of legislation in June before the two breaks come up. And every prime minister, regardless of political stripe, says, you will stay here until you know, time immemorial unless that bill is passed and I don't care whether it's Christmas and I don't care, blah, blah, blah. Um, because they have spent all of their time in the year 
getting from September to June to put that piece of legislation together, then they want it right now. Um, and we need that time to look at it. And it's the kind of scrutiny that doesn't happen in the journalistic process or any of those things, because there's not time for that. It's our job through the committee structure to set every piece of legislation goes to a committee. And it is studied and we call witnesses and a full range of witnesses on all side, technical wit witnesses, legislative experts, lawyers, to say, does this work? We've done some very complicated stuff. You can imagine post 9-11, the security legislation, what you can do at a border, what questions you can ask, um, how we're going to manage that system, and sometimes not so successfully. We've seen more than 6,000 people come across illegally. Uh, this summer, not at border points, right? There's, the world is a very different place. So there's plenty of work for both chambers, but the one thing we must do is keep a check on just decisions that are made for strictly timetable or partisan purposes, because that doesn't always bring uh, the best legislation. Okay, thank you. Let's move on. Next question, please. Hello, my name is uh, Knut Peterson. Thank you very much, Pamela, for coming to Lethbridge, and thank you very much for having such a great assistant down in, in uh, <laughs> Ottawa. Lynn is fabulous. Yeah. Yes. Uh, my question relates to uh, electoral reform. Uh, the government was uh, elected on that promise, uh, and it didn't happen, and, and you, didn't get, you didn't even get to uh, debate it in the, in the Senate, I don't believe. Uh, can you it give us a little? Make it out of the House of Commons. <laughs> <laughs> Can you give us a little insight uh, to what happened there? Because I think there's more to it than meets the eye. Uh, could well, you? I, I guess if I'm going to be perfectly frank, I mean every politician that's in the opposition wants something like proportional representation because it gives them more clout. Uh, in our system, it's a winner-take-all. Uh, system and with 37% of the vote in this country, you can form a majority government. Uh, so that's also one of the concerns that, that we have about, um, uh, about the need for the Senate. There does need to be a balance on that. So everybody says, oh yes, we need uh, electoral reform and it needs to be more representative and we'll do proportional re representation or some variation on on that. Then they get elected and they have a majority government and they go, that's not such a good idea. Really? We just can't get anything done unless we have our majority to push through this legislation and see our, because everybody believes their worldview is the right one and that their legislation is the way to go. Um, so I'm not optimistic we'll ever see that and, and I'm not even sure that it's the right thing to do, but it's something that we need to continue to look at. We've seen much smaller countries engage in that, and I mean geographically smaller countries. Um, and, you know, I think there are other reforms that we can see that are m much more important. You know, we, we had this debate recently in the public about whether or not MPs should take Fridays off. Um, and it was a hue and cry about, oh, they hardly work as it is and they get so much money and big fat pensions and blah, blah, blah. None of which, by the way, is true. Um, and, the no and if you're from Western Canada, as I well know, you know, um, you need to get home. 
You need to be in your constituency and you need to see your family to be the kind of person that you need to be to represent this country. And so I, I just don't have any issue with that. Or maybe you could do rotations and have you know, people assigned and have a smaller number. There's all sorts of things that we can do that I think makes it more representative and uh, that would give MPs more time in their writings to talk to people. So that's what we have to focus on and, and get away from the debates that are all too simple about the cost of X and the cost of Y. It costs money to have a democratic system that is centered in the eastern part of the country and people have to come from away uh, to get there. It's a costly process. Okay, we're going to have to speed it up. We've got a long line of questioners. I've got Sorry. written questions too. So shorter questions and shorter, shorter answers, answers, please. Okay. okay, madam, you have the floor. Uh, Mary Shilton, thank you very much, Pamela, for coming today and bringing the Senate alive for us. Lois Wilson, former Senator Lois Wilson, was here a number of year go years ago, and she too was in favor of independence. Um, so I appreciate that. We had a discussion at our table about the lack of information about the current proposed tax reform. Mm -hmm. So you seem to have some information about that. Could you give us a little bit more, please? <laughs> Thank you. Well, I wish I did know more. I'm reading right now because we have just reconvened. So the Parliament had its the House of Commons first day Monday, our uh, first day Tuesday, and then I promptly got in a plane and came here. Um, so I think people are just starting to examine that. I, there's a couple of concerns. It's about process, that the consultation period was over the summer uh, when nobody knew it was underway, and uh, the deadline is October 2nd. And uh, secondly, I think, you know, from my point of view, and it's the part of the world I come from, I have real trouble with some of the things they're proposing. I live in a community, a small community of 1,500 people. It's farmers, it's small businesses. There wouldn't be uh, stores and services if it wasn't for entrepreneurs. You know, Walmart doesn't come to Wadena. Uh, <laughs> and so we need people like that. And, and I think there's somehow the biggest issue is, and, and uh, somebody used the word earlier, you know, loopholes, or, or somehow the, the Prime Minister seems to be suggesting that people are cheating the system. Um, this is not cheating the system. This is the structure that was there and people have figured it out and they have used it. And now if you want to change the system, you can change the system, but don't call people cheats. Hey, this is the story of my life. Uh, that's exactly what I went through. So you can't make the laws change retroactively. You have to do it going forward. So that's one thing. Uh, secondly, I think there has to be a much better understanding of the entrepreneurial nature and spirit of this country and what they do and the implications of these tax changes. I don't think they've thought it through. Um, so that's again, this eventually will come to us uh, because as you see now, liberal MPs are sending, writing letters to their prime minister and putting it in the newspaper. Uh, so clearly there's need for debate. And okay, thank you. Right, look, Sorry, I'm going to do long. one written question, not really on topic, but then it affects us here in fact, it affects the whole world. And the question reads, uh, have you any comment to help us understand some of the very serious governance problems in the USA? 
Well, I lived in the United States for five years, and I actually love Americans, and I love their crazy system. Uh, when everybody is wringing their hands about, oh my, you know, what will happen uh, with Donald Trump? A, there are a lot of checks and balances in that system. Um, and B, he is really, um, we were just discussing it a bit at lunch. This is under his auspices. He doesn't get all the credit. There have been two unanimous votes uh, uh, in the United Nations in the last 10 days. This morning, just as I was going out of the room so I don't have all the details, there was a meeting convened with Japan, uh, China, South Korea on what, how, th how they're going to tighten sanctions on North Korea. So with all the bluster and the Twitterverse that Donald Trump lives in, um, the one thing I will say on the positive side is that he is engaging an awful lot of people in the process. And he is trying to circumvent some of the traditional media that interpret and misinterpret what people say and do. And he's going directly to them and he is being judged on what he directly says to people, um, you know, all the craziness about calling um, Kim Jong-un uh, rocket man, you know. Um, he kind of captured it and sort of spoke for a lot of people. And then if you live in the Washington bubble, you think this is outrageous. So, you know, he's, he is making some connections between the two worlds. And I guess for the many who might be really concerned about Donald Trump, I actually don't think he's going to make the four years. I think his attention span is way too short. <laughs> okay, fine. So at least, at least we're going to survive for another two questions. Madam, you have the floor. Uh, Stephanie Watson, I just had a quick question. We talk a lot about the East and West, but what mm -hmm. about the territories, especially when it comes to the Senate changes and stuff like that? They seem to be pretty underrepresented. Well, there's a, there, I mean, there are representatives, and there are those people that have the, the greatest distances to go. <laughs> I've, I, I've gone up you know, to Yukon and done some sing, things for fellow senators. It's tough. The issues I find are actually permeating the larger discussions. So we're having a debate right now about whether th there should be a separate committee on Arctic slash Northern issues. Right now, everybody's so slammed because of the, the numbers. Like, we're going to four committees, five committees. Sometimes they conflict because there's only so many days of the week and just managing the schedules. I mean, I can't be on the Foreign Affairs Committee because it meets the same time as the Banking Committee. So I, I just can't do it. So trying to have those issues injected in other places rather than kind of hiving them off and saying somehow this is an Arctic issue. Um, it, it's a little bit the way I feel about women's issues. I, d I don't want a committee on women's issues. I want the things that concern women and everybody else to be discussed at the Banking, Trade and Commerce Committee and at the Foreign Affairs Committee. I think we all share an interest in the issues of the world and, and I don't think we need to it off and if we need to look at issues specifically about w women and daycare or health issues then let's do that in the health committee or the social affairs committee okay sorry. thanks uh, sorry I guess I was maybe a little unclear about oh, that. sorry um, so you have been talking about the numbers represented by the senators currently yeah. in right and you had talked about the differences between the Atlantic and the Western yeah. provinces but where are the differences in well, with Arctic, one so. senator in each of the territories, it's still relatively low population, mm -hmm. you know, so it's probably in line with some of the smaller provinces. I don't think I have that exact number, but let me look for it, and okay. if I do, I'll come and 
tell you. Yeah. Okay, this has to be the last question. Ms. Mitchell, I appreciate uh, all you have told us, and I've learned a little. Thank you. However, there's one omission that I feel I'd like you to address, and that is the relationship of the Senate with the indigenous people. Could you enlighten us a little bit on how it gets? It's a federal responsibility, you all know, and I know they're not taxed, mm -hmm. but uh, perhaps you could comment something about what you, because we're faced with uh, them all around. Yeah, again, I think these are issues that permeate all the, really, all the other committees. There is, of course, uh, uh, a committee on Native and Aboriginal Affairs, and it is up to its neck with all the issues because the courts are now so active. When a court declares that, you know, a group is entitled to uh, money and status and access and all of those things, that comes with a great financial cost amongst many other issues. That's not the only issue, but that is one. And so those questions tend to come up that way. They are uh, that committee, I don't sit on that committee, but they are um, engaged with what the, the decisions about the status of women who marry off reserve. They're looking at the reconciliation issues, the committee the, on murdered and missing women that is just, you know, not, it, it seems to be floundering. I was watching one of the women today say that they don't have enough resources. So, you know, some of those issues get dealt with at committee and some of them are larger social issues. The Prime Minister's at the UN today talking about how Canada has um, not lived up to its promise to deal with uh, Indigenous people, to uh, a reconciliation with Indigenous people. So that's, that is never an issue that's going to be solved. <laughs> That's an issue that needs to be managed by governments of the day, and then we need to look at it as senators in terms of what their legislative response has been to deal with those issues. That is our job. Okay, so, sorry, that brings us to the close of our session today. So please join me in thanking Senator Wallen for coming here. Thank you.